Is religious disbelief generally knowledge? This is an interesting question, but it's not a question that Julian is asking. And there's a very good reason why. That question can't be settled independently of the question, say, of whether or not God exists. Now, uh, I assume that this project will settle the question of whether God exists before it's over. But I think Julian's right that the big reveal is, for the time being, a bit premature. Julian therefore presents his thesis as a conditional. Quote, if the atheist worldview is true, ordinary modern disbelief is often knowledge. Julian further asserts that an advantage of this thesis is that both theists and atheists can happily agree to it. Now let me clear up a confusion to which I myself was subject. I thought that Julian intended his thesis to be a material conditional. Such a material conditional would plausibly enjoy widespread uh, agreement, uh, particularly from theists. Uh, let's assume that if you reject the antecedent of a conditional, then you accept the whole conditional uh, regardless of the consequent. Uh, a probabilistic view of acceptance and rejection uh, with a 0.5 threshold will secure that result. Then theists, unlike atheists, would be guaranteed to accept the conditional if the atheist worldview is true, ordinary modern disbelief is often knowledge. But that acceptance is a bit weird. After all, in precisely the same way that uh, a theist would be willing to accept that conditional, he'd be willing to accept the conditional, if the atheist worldview is true, then pigs fly. <laughs> but Julian told me that he does not intend his thesis to be a material conditional. And I believe him. What Julian uh, says that everyone can happily agree to his thesis, uh, he just means that the option of happy agreement is open to them. Unhappy disagreement, too, can go on and go on without any interference from the material conditional. Uh, I'll get to such unhappy disagreement shortly. Uh, since Julian's thesis isn't a material conditional, uh, let me present a, a slight rephrasing of it. Conditional on the truth of the atheist worldview, ordinary modern disbelief is often knowledge. The question then is, restricting attention to worlds in which the atheist worldview is true, do ordinary modern disbelievers generally know that the propositions they disbelieve are false? Or, though I think we can dispense with this uh, precision, what's the probability that, conditional upon the truth of the atheist worldview, ordinary modern disbelievers generally know that the propositions they disbelieve are false? Now, it's worth thinking for a bit about the potential squirreliness of truth conditions for indicative conditionals and propositions about probabilities. But those are general issues, and uh, I take it that everyone's already well acquainted with them. But I note that Julian's thoughts get us right into current controversies which are untouched by squirrely truth conditions. Uh, for example, some recent epicycles of the literature on skeptical theism revolves around whether, if there is no God, atheists can know that there is no God on the basis of horrendous evils. The overall suggestion of some of the skeptical theists is that it's just not possible to know that there's no God. Now, I don't like that position, as I don't like begrudging perfectly sensible atheists their shot at knowledge. But I suppose that it is my job as commenter to push back against Julian's account, so let me give a few reasons to think that irreligious knowledge isn't quite as easy to attain as Julian suggests. The features of the bare safety account of knowledge that let it avoid triviality make it a bit hard to apply. A belief isn't safe just in case the proposition believed is true in sufficiently similar worlds. For then any belief that was true in all worlds would automatically count as knowledge. Rather, quote, one's belief that P in case alpha is safe if and only if one avoids false belief in cases sufficiently similar to alpha. More than just the content of the belief is relevant, and among the other relevant features is the etiology of the belief. 
Thus, if you randomly pick some assertion from a mediocre math student's homework and go all in believing it, you won't thereby come to believe, uh, but you won't thereby come to know it, however safely true that proposition is. The true mathematical proposition will be in the bad company of false, false mathematical propositions. If the etiology of a belief is suspect, that belief cannot constitute knowledge. But, I claim, the etiology of ordinary irreligious beliefs is similarly suspect. A fair number of people don't believe anything religious just because their parents don't either. And going along with your parents' religious beliefs is just what happens for a lot of religious kids whose religious beliefs are, ex hypothesi, false. If the atheist kids aren't thinking any better than the theist kids, then the theistic beliefs of the theistic kids count as bad company for the atheistic beliefs of the atheistic kids. And even for atheists who are breaking away from the beliefs of their families, and it's not uncommon for religious parents to wind up with irreligious children, the processes by which the atheists come to their beliefs might still be sufficiently suspect to preclude their knowing that there is no God. Take anyone who's just going along with the zeitgeist of some particular subculture. Well, any errors that subculture is disposed to could make belief in the things that it gets right unsafe, and the contingency of subculture affiliation could likewise make belief in the things it gets right unsafe. Even in content, there's a case to be made that ordinary irreligious beliefs have some bad company. Belief in luck, in soulmates, in karma, in destiny, or in any of myriad old wives' tales could well muck things up. Maybe we have to exclude atheists who have those sorts of silly beliefs from our consideration, but I think that if we do so, we'll exclude a non-trivial number. I also think that morality may muck things up more than Julian allows. I'm not as moved by the dissimilarities of religious and moral matters. I'm not convinced that the processes through which we come to beliefs about religion and those through which we come to beliefs about morality are so dissimilar. Compulsive Bayesian that I am, I tend to see an underlying form to just about all of our reasoning, uh, but I won't say more about that for fear of being pelted by tomatoes. And admittedly, we're thinking here about the common man, a man for whom, perhaps, the probability calculus provides less good of a model than it does for some others. But even granting that, I don't think that the mechanisms underlying people's religious beliefs are as sui generis as Julian suggests. I also think that the content of ordinary people's moral beliefs can preclude them from knowing that there is no God. Admittedly, it, it's difficult to interpret ordinary people's moral beliefs. Uh, it's difficult to interpret ordinary people's beliefs regarding any complicated matter. So, you know, uh, when someone thinks that two spatially separated events are occurring at the same time, what should we, in light of relativity, make of the thought. But I do think that most people have views which are best thought of as robustly realist. And morality has a certain spookiness in common with religion. Uh, to my mind, moral matters are even spookier than religious ones. But, Julian says, if false beliefs about morality are bad company for true beliefs about religion, then surely false beliefs about morality are bad company for true beliefs about uh, morality, at least for beliefs held unreflectively. That seems right. But I'm not inclined to take the consequence that most people's moral views cannot constitute knowledge to be a reductio. It seems downright sensible to me. People are muddle-headed and unreliable when it comes to morality, and I really am disinclined to say that they know what they're talking about. I also don't want to prejudge morality status. Suppose that error theory is right, and that all positive moral views are false. Yeah, different groups have their different inconsistent moralities, but they're all bunk. Then morality looks a lot like religion. Different groups have their different inconsistent religions, but they're all bunk. One might think that both religions and moralities claim that there's more to the world than just atoms and void. 
But if atoms and void are all there is, then it makes sense to think of both religion and morality as making uh, a certain type of error. It's plausible to me, therefore, that false beliefs about morality can be bad company for false beliefs about religion, or for true beliefs about religion. Uh, and if we exclude everyone who isn't an error theorist, then I think the individuals who can know that there is no God will be quite rare and likely sophisticated enough to run into unsafety with other views about metaphysics. So uh, let me uh, turn now to some more general issues about how the safety condition works. Uh, holding other things equal, the more important a feature of the world is, and thus the more different a world which lacked that feature would be, the easier that feature is to know about. Modally speaking, the important features are situated in large continuous regions, big bubbles, while unimportant features are speckled about, little bubbles. The big bubbles have big safe interiors, while the little bubbles don't. To my mind, it's weird to think that, ceteris paribus, it's easier to know about important features of the world than it is to know about unimportant ones. So I'd like to toss out a, a tweaking of the safety theory, uh, or perhaps just a precisification of it. Uh, my thought is to add in a bit of contextualism, or perhaps to be more precise, a, a bit of sensitive invariantism. Uh, suppose that the amount of safety needed to give a knowledge about important difference-making features of the world is greater than the amount of safety needed to give knowledge about unimportant, non-difference-making features of the world. Then things could work out so that all subject matters, at least all contingent subject matters, were equally hospitable for knowledge. Of course, there's a huge problem with this approach. What the hell is a subject matter supposed to be anyway? Suppose there's a, a family trapped in the top floor of a burning building, and someone observing these poor souls forms the belief in the proposition, no one can save them. That proposition entails that the local fire department isn't highly competent. If the local fire department were highly competent, the local fire department could save them. The proposition also entails that there's no God. If God existed, God could save them. Now, let's suppose that the local fire department isn't highly competent and that the closest world in which it is highly competent is fairly far away and that God doesn't exist and the closest world in which God does exist is hugely far away. It's going to be a bit tricky to give a contextually sensitive safety requirement for the belief that no one can save the imperiled family. If we say that the belief has to be hugely safe because of the God bit, then the proposition will not be known. Indeed, will pretty much not be knowable because you don't have to change things hugely to make the fire department highly competent. But if we say that the belief needn't be hugely safe because of the fire department bit, then it'll be easier to know a proposition that entails that there's no God than it is to know that there's no God. And that's some fairly unpalatable closure violation. Of course, given that contextualism is a fairly flexible thing, we could jigger the safety conditions to be more complex and require different amounts of safety for different bits of propositions. And I'm quite confident that there are more epicycles from there. In the end, uh, I'm not sure to what extent we should be using our grip on knowledge to refine our sense of safety conditions, and to what extent we should be using our grip on safety conditions to refine our sense of knowledge. What I am sure of is that Julian wrote a really interesting paper, and that I should thank him for the pleasure of engaging with it. So, thank you, Julian, and thank you all. <clears throat> uh, so... Thanks, everyone, for coming. So I'd like first to thank the members of the New Insight Project uh, and the John Templeton Foundation for allowing me to present this material. And thanks a lot to you for your uh, stimulating comments. Uh, I won't pick on everything, but I think just on, on, on the second part of the comments mainly. Well, I mean, we'll see. So um, 
Uh, so here I go. So I have seven minutes, and you can warm me at five. I will do that. Okay, good. Um, uh, so uh, as Tim wrote, uh, to be precise is to make it as easy as possible for others to prove one wrong. Uh, so I know the converse is not true, but still I thought it would uh, help discussion if I made it as easy as possible for you to prove me wrong. So I've made a little handout where there are guidelines to prove my main thesis wrong and also guidelines for me to reply to atoms to prove my main thesis wrong. So in the, in the common, what I propose to do is first to go over my main claim and then the guidelines and then use the guidelines to address uh, you have comments. Okay, so my main thesis, as you have said, is, uh, uh, is, is uh, I mean, my main question is whether the man on the street, uh, the ordinary person, can uh, know that some of the major uh, word religions' claims are false. Can they know that there is no life after death or that Buddha didn't live many lives? Um, and uh, my answer is positive, or more precisely, my answer is a conditional on the atheist worldview being true. So if, in fact, uh, the atheist worldview is true, then uh, uh, what I call disbelief is often knowledge. So what I call disbelief is belief in the falsehood of uh, um, one of the major words religion claims. Uh, I know it's not a, maybe the more ordinary use of the term, but it's a convenient term for our discussion. Um, and I focus on modern uh, Disbelief that is disbelief by people who live in post-enlightenment societies like contemporary China. Uh, I focus on uh, so the disbelief of ordinary people or what philosophers sometimes technically call real people, uh, people that are not themselves philosophers or theologians or uh, have no special expertise on the matter. Um, and uh, and I, I set aside cases where you would disbelieve a religious claim that you came across through some mystical experience or something like that because I think this complicates matter. Okay, so that's the subject being restricted. Uh, I'm assuming a safety account of knowledge. So safety account of knowledge is, uh, uh, is a good company view of knowledge. It says that uh, a belief, uh, given belief constitute knowledge if it's not sufficiently similar in respects relevant for knowledge to a false belief. Um, and so a belief that's sufficiently similar in the relevant respects to, uh, another, uh, to a target belief I call a companion on the, of the target belief. And a bad companion is a false belief. Uh, and, uh, and the similarity is not any kind of similarity, but it's similarity in respects that are relevant for knowledge. And this is very hard to specify uh, uh, in any uh, straightforward matter and, uh, and the standard strategy is to use our intuitions about knowledge to figure out what beliefs comes as relevantly similar uh, to others. So we'll see some applications of that. Okay, so with this account in hand, in, in hand uh, my argument is fairly straightforward. So what I say is that it's often the case that a given religious disbelief as, as companion only other religious disbeliefs. And if the atheist worldview is true, then all of these companions are true. So the belief is safe, so it is knowledge. OK, so that's the view. And uh, so how you prove me wrong? So well, one, the straightforward way to prove the thesis wrong is to say that, well, even if the atheist worldview is true, here is 
so take your target disbelief, which you claim is knowledge. Here is a bad companion for it. So here's, here's a belief which is sufficiently similar in relevant respects and yet false. And, uh, and you have us given three uh, examples of this. I mean, three uh, candidates, bad companions for religious disbelief. Uh, so one was... Uh, the religious belief that people have, and they would be similar enough because uh, uh, you know your typical disbelief is something you have because you just go along with your parents, and so that would be similar enough to uh, religious belief that people have because they go along with their parents. If that is what view is true, the second one is false. So if they have this word is true, the first one is unsafe. So it's not knowledge. And uh, another candidate by companion was uh, belief in luck or belief in soulmates and uh, a few other beliefs in uh, uh, spooky things like that. Uh, and the third candidate was uh, moral uh, beliefs. So how do I reply to this kind of challenge? Well, my, uh, for, for any pair that you give to me like that, so here is the disbelief and here is the suggested bad companion, uh, I'm going to try to find another belief which is uh, for instance, even more similar to the bad companion, but which is clearly a case of knowledge. And then we say, well, look, if you want to count the bad companion as a companion for my disbelief, then you will have to count the bad companion as a companion for that belief, but that belief is clearly knowledge, so it cannot be a companion of it, so it cannot be a companion of the religious belief. So I, I'm trying to find things that are closer to the suggested counterexample. Okay, perfect. Uh, so that's the general strategy. So for the case of going along with one's parents' belief, so if you think about it, it's not clear that there is anything that we believe just because our parents told, told us. So, for instance, I believe that my name is Julien, and I mainly believe it because my parents told me so, but I can also imagine that if things had gone on in certain ways, I would have suspended that belief. Like if many people had told me, like, look, this is all a myth. You are not called Julien. You are called Pedro. You have been, in fact, named Pedro. It's on your papers and all that. That if this stuff had shown up, then I would have suspended this belief. So there is a sense maybe in which I don't merely believe it because my parents told me so, but, but also because this course of... Uh, uh, um, you know, the, the, these things haven't happened. Uh, so, so it's not clear to me exactly uh, that there are any beliefs that you, you, you have just because uh, you go along with your parents' beliefs. Um, and that said aside, so assuming that there is this category of beliefs that you have because you go along with your parents, it seems to me that it's going to be such a broad category that if you start to say that anyone in this category isn't safe because some in this category are false, then you'll have very broad and implausible scepticism. So uh, I think it's... it's uh, uh, so I think that's the line I, I would like to go there. Uh, let's say, to give a concrete example, it would be harsh to say that uh, uh, somebody who has Christian beliefs because their parents had Christian beliefs um, is in no position, for instance, to know that uh, uh, Athena doesn't <coughs> exist. Because, because the disbelief in the existence of the Greek gods is similar enough to the, their belief in the existence of the Christian god. 
Okay, so um, second case, belief in, in luck um, or soulmates. I would use the same kind of strategy. I would say, uh, well, look, the, the belief that there is, if you count the belief that there is luck as similar enough to uh, belief that there is no life after death, then presumably you would count the belief that there is luck as similar enough to uh, the belief that astrology is wrong. Uh, and uh, and it seems harsh to say that uh, anybody who believes that there is luck uh, is in no position to know that astrology doesn't work, for instance. So it, it seems, again, that you will have a broader kind of skepticism. And in the moral case, I would say um, if... So the, the general idea would be to say that, for instance... Um, I have the belief that it's wrong to arbitrarily slap people in the street. And, uh, and the idea would be that, well, this, maybe this belief is false because there are no moral property. And uh, this belief is similar enough to my belief that there is no afterlife. Uh, but surely my belief that it is illegal to arbitrarily slap people in the street is closer <laughs> to my belief that it's uh, uh, wrong to slap people in the street than my belief that there is no afterlife is to uh, my belief that it's wrong to slap people in the street. And clearly I know that it's illegal to arbitrarily slap people in the street. Uh, so it cannot be that the, the belief that it's wrong to slap people in the street is uh, relevantly similar to my belief that there is no afterlife. So that would be the general strategy. So this is the straightforward strategy to prove my thesis wrong, come up with bad companions. And the other case would be, the other strategy would be to, Actually, yeah, I'm over. Yeah, so the other strategy is just to show that I'm too cheap by saying that my, the constraint I need on similarity uh, makes some clear case of non-knowledge, cases of knowledge. But maybe that'll come up in discussion. Sorry. Thanks. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> for questions and fingers for follow-ups. Um, so, Brian? Yeah, just on the, uh, on the issue of like, uh, beliefs that you have just because your parents believe them. Mm-hmm. It seems to me not just that, uh, you know, sometimes you can know something even though there's another belief that you have that you believe just because you, your parents believe them that's false or whatever. Um, but also just even, you can know something even though the only reason you believe that thing is that your parents believed it. I, at least I think there's a case we made for that claim. Like, we just think of, uh, you know, imagine we're somehow in a world where um, there were also, you know, you were a society of inductivists, but there were also somehow surviving still societies of counter-inductivists and skeptics. Um, it seems like if you are in the inductivist society, you can, you know, know that the next emerald will be green or whatever, um, even though you've not like delved into the, the metaphysics of natural properties or, you know, uh, mess with grueness or, you know, really engage with skeptical arguments. I mean, it seems mm. like, it seems like at least assuming that, you know, skepticism is wrong, like it seems like you know that the next general screen, even though basically the only reason you believe it, or at least the only reason you engage in induction rather than, you know, massive suspension of judgment or counter-induction mm. is that, yeah. um, but I mean, I guess the reason you believe that the next emerald will be green is actually just that the previous emeralds were green, not that your parents believed it. But uh-huh. The reason you engage in that pattern of reasoning, rather than 
you know, patterns of reasoning that other societies engage in is that your parents do. Um, right, yeah. But I guess you have ideas with that there is, the etiology is the same, while the, the case you, the case you present seems to be a case where there is one, uh, you happen to, uh, you happen to be in a community where we form beliefs in a certain way. So then you happen to be in a community that has a certain etiology for belief, yeah. as versus being in a community where another etiology for beliefs, uh, other, yeah. uh, like beliefs have other etiology. And here the picture was rather to say like there, are, there would be a, a parallel between the etiologies themselves. It's not that yeah. you, you I mean, see. I would just like so maybe maybe you can modify the case so it's not uh, belief in the proposition that's outputted by this you know by induction versus right. counterinduction. But I mean, maybe people don't really have such sophisticated beliefs as like the belief that induction is justified or something. But I don't know, imagine they do, or they have, some, you know, in some sense, dispositionally, they have that kind of, um, you know, belief about the method. Yeah. Uh, it's a bit tricky. I so mean, thinking it would be at least a bit odd to say, like, person's totally justified in um, believing that the next emerald is green, which is based on, you know, induction, uh, but not at all justified or in believing that, uh, that induction is a good method or something. I mean, maybe, maybe you want to, like, split levels that way and say that, mm. you know, the... The belief outputted by the method is justified, constitute knowledge, etc. But the belief that the method's a good one is not justified, doesn't constitute knowledge. But I think there's at least a little bit of tension there. Some pressure to saying you could you know that the method is a good one, even though the, the belief in the method is yeah just come from the parents. Yeah, the, like so. What about the case where like you just happen to be in a community where people think that you just don't have knowledge in the future versus you happen to be in a community where it's like everybody grants that there is knowledge of the future. That would be an example along your line and you, you say well, there's no reason to believe that the mere existence of the skeptical community makes it uh, unsafe to have believed that we have knowledge in the future that's, yeah, that's in, the, in the other community. But again I find it difficult to say that in the knowledge of the future community, you believe that there is knowledge of the future just because everybody goes along with it. Because you presumably you realize that many of these beliefs about the future turn out to be true and things like that. So it's just like I yeah. find well, it hard to... Yeah, a bit, a bit odd because mm. that sort of argument doesn't work against the counter-inductivists, right? Mm. So inductions worked a lot in the past, but of course, you know, the counter-inductivist says, yeah. well, that's just good evidence from my mm -hmm. view. It's going to start producing false beliefs pretty soon. Yeah. Um, no, right. Hi. So, sorry, I, I, I apologize for arriving late because I had a meeting. And, and so, uh, I apologize if this is totally out of order because I haven't had a chance to do it. This thing about stuff, you know, a belief that you believe just because your parents told you. Um, it seems as though what's going to do all the work there is, is uh, or can be used to do all the work is, so there's supposing there's something, supposing causally, historically, I've formed this belief because I've accepted my teachings of those who brought me up. But I mean, what you're, you suggested, okay, but it could be that if this belief was false, defeaters would have come up. I would have encountered, like, you know, de de defeating evidence. So um, if it's true, if it's the case that the false defeaters would have come up, then it's not case that I only believe because I've been told. So there's one is it, it would have to be that so we've got 
a thought about the environment as such that if, the, if, if it were false, the fetus would have come up and I would have encountered them. But then, of course, we also need the condition on me that if the word of fetus, I would be sensitive to them and, and, and I would, and I would uh, stop believing it. Um, but then, so I mean, there's just a bunch of further distinctions you can make there. And you might think the problematic beliefs are ones where I only believe because, well, I originally come to believe them because I'm trained into them in my, by my parents or in my society. And these beliefs are such that even if they were false, there wouldn't be any defeaters that would come up. And then the ones where if, if there were defeaters that I would encounter these and I would be sensitive to and retract belief, they'll be fine. But if either there wouldn't be any defeaters if it was false, or if even if there were defeaters I would dogmatically persist in believing, then those beliefs would be would be problematic for their knowledge. So I don't know if those thoughts are helpful. So. Yeah, I definitely I, I'm totally on board with that. So <coughs> I. Uh, so this this shows that beliefs that we that we would put in the broad category of things you believe because your parents told you so uh, they, they they might have just they might be different in in many many ways in terms of sensitivity to potential defeaters or uh, sensitivity to confirmations or and so on uh, which which might make for relevant differences. Uh, that might make some safe, even though some others are false. So I totally agree that if you start looking into uh, disbeliefs and how they are sustained, and uh, then matters gets much more get much more complicated in the way you suggest. Yes, thanks. So, hi. hi. Um, seems like your uh, paper is very interesting. Uh, it seems like your your thesis relies upon the claim that. Uh, at least this claim, that the etiologies of religious disbelief is often the case, or it's often the case that the etiologies of religious <coughs> beliefs are in good company, right? That is to say, the etiologies of the sort that uh, in other circumstances gives rise to true belief. And my question is, how as a philosopher could you even know that claim, or claim warrant for that? That seems like an empirical claim about the actual psychological mechanisms that underlie uh, religious beliefs in the general population. And it, I think at best you might have anecdotal evidence, right? But it seems to me that, you know, just reading internet message boards, if you look at the reasons they just have, they say things like, well, I read Sam Harris's book. Uh, and Sam Harris says, P, therefore P. That seems to be a, a bad ideology for that belief. Right? Or I read a Richard Dawkins book. Um, so, I mean, it, it seems like your argument relies on a certain Claim. I'm wondering how, from the armchair, you could know that. Are you going to have any warrant for that claim about the ideology of religious disbelief? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's fair claim. I mean, that's, that's fair. I didn't intend to be, I, I mean, I don't intend the claims in this paper to be, you know, uh, establishable from Descartes' uh, room. Uh, so I, I do make a lot of empirical assumption and relying on what I think I know about. Uh, about the word, and it's not—it's not straightforward. So, you know, you can—you can simply go to a psychologist and ask the psychologist, "Here are these two beliefs. Tell me if they have the same etiology." The psychologist will tell, "Well, they are both like somehow generated by human brains. Does that make them the same etiology?" Or there is one neuron that the first one uses, the second one doesn't. So that, is that enough to say that they are of different sorts? 
So, psi, like, so we have this problem of what we count as similar enough or same sort. And, uh, and to sort that, you can just ask a psychologist. Right, so you, you have to, to come up with this measure of similarity. And the only way I know is to, to say, like, look, this is a case of knowledge. So this is a case of error. So this one are not relevantly similar. What are the respects in which they differ? And is my religious disbelief relevantly different from the candidate bad companion? I only know this way to go. Uh, which is not a straight ask a psychologist. Right. So I wouldn't want to set the bar that high because, like, I mean, the generality problems are problems here, right? Um, but it's still, it, it seems like I, at least I can come up with anecdotal evidence, right, where it seems like religious disbelief has a really terrible ideology, um, and it seems like that's actually pretty widespread. Like if you think about the rise of the new atheists, um, I think even philosophers will agree that a lot of their work. That is both really influential in giving rise to the new atheist, uh, sort of this new religious nuns movement. Not nuns in the patent sense, but nuns N O N E S, right? Um, but, you know, then that's also really reliant upon this sort of intellectual heavy lifting or lifting that's being done by these new atheist books that are coming out. And that seems like a really bad ideology for a belief, right? So I'm not even saying we need psychological, because we just have these sort of observations. Anecdotal, I'll admit to the effect that it seems like a lot of religious disbeliefs, or at least atheist belief, is a bad company. Yeah, so, so two points in reply. Like, to me, this is very, very marginal phenomenon. It's like, so as I say in the paper, I'm not focusing on atheists. So, you know, ordinary Christian person believes that Buddha didn't live several lives. Is that belief knowledge? And they haven't studied in detail the evidence for reincarnation or whatever. Is that belief knowledge? They don't believe that because they have read Samara's book. And, uh, I, and I think this is like extremely widespread. Like the number of people who disbelieve in Buddha having several, lived several lives uh, vastly outnumbers the number of people that have read Samara's book. So, so I think it's, it's like this kind of thing is marginal. So, I mean, so in the paper I mentioned this case. So, uh, for instance, suppose somebody comes to disbelieve in the existence of God because just because they used to be, be a believer, and and the only the really thing the thing that made it for them is a, a totally obscure and intelligible book by a fashionable French philosopher. So then I would say, well, their belief, the belief that there is no God, is now on par with the belief in a lot of the crazy claims in the book. And so that disbelief is not knowledge. So you're basically saying, well, the people who uh, disbelief on the basis of reading new atheists are pretty much like that. And uh, it's an open question whether they are like that. Maybe the people, you know, the fact that people give this book, use this book in conversation, maybe it's because they think it gives weight to their argument. So maybe they have some sort of prior blanket ordinary disbelief and then they find in this book something that they think supports uh, them in dialectical exchange. And then in, it, the, the book is sort of marginal in the etiology of their belief. Uh, it's just that they will use it because they say, well, do you look, there are these very important people who have written these big books that are full of arguments. But, uh, but maybe they, they, they don't believe because of the book in a significant way. So they, these are the two things I would point out. I wanted to ask about premise one. So mm -hmm. premise one seems false to me, but 
It also doesn't seem like you need from this one. So oh, right. Yeah. So I guess it seems really plausible that certain religious beliefs would have non-religious beliefs as companions. But nevertheless, the, the religious disbeliefs would be could be knowledge as long as the companions are true. So I just wasn't sure like if you were thinking that your argument was depending upon one. Yeah, de facto, my argument is this, so it depends up upon one. But it's true that the conclusion might be true, even though the premises are false. But I have no other argument at the moment, so <laughs> I'm using premise one. Okay. Um, well, I guess it seems like you're relying on it. You're relying on the plausibility of um, you know someone coming to a disbelief via a method that only produces other truth. Beliefs and that sort of—that's that's more of a core yeah. intuition than. I mean, it's—it's it's, you're. It seems to me like you're arguing for too much to try to show that also the religious disbeliefs only have other religious disbeliefs as companions, and you just don't seem to need that. Yeah. Well, the the way I think about it is like, you know, if it is in fact the case that that, so to speak, the method that generates this uh, good disbeliefs only has. Uh, religious disbelief uh, as companion, then it's very straightforward to say that all, all of these are going to be true if the atheist worldview is true. So that's very easy. But then if we say, well, there is a, like, you know, if, it, if I say it's the method of believing the negation of uh, claims that seem too good to be true, then there will be many false beliefs generated by this method, for instance. So it's like, uh, yeah, so that's why I can see um, why if, if the religious disbelief only have religious disbelief as companion, I can see how it could be that all of them are true. Uh, but then if we are out in the woods and, and it turns out that they have all sorts of companions, then I'm, I'm less certain, but I'm happy to, uh, to consider what could be uh, another way of seeing the, the similarity group. Oh, it was a comment on something. Oh, sorry. Do you want to? Uh, sure. So just uh, as far as um, issues about uh, counter-inductivists uh, being bad companions for the inductivists and those sorts of words, uh, it seems to me that there's, um, that it's important to uh, see whether we're uh, trying to point out uh, a feature of the safety account uh, of knowledge that will sort of let it handle these sort of ideology worries, or if those sorts of cases are actually uh, potential counterexamples for the safety view of knowledge to begin with. That um, if if it really is the case that there's this you know, close world where, um, or the, this close situation where you're a counterinductivist, uh, if we are inclined to say, well, no, but I still really do know that induction is the way to go, or I, I really do know the propositions that I believe in on the basis of induction, um, it remains to be seen if that's just reason to uh, discard the safety kind of knowledge uh, directly. And I mean, there, are, there are other very closely related cases. Uh, the um, you know, roll a six-sided die. On, on six, you'll wear an actual diamond. But on one through five, you wear a fake diamond. I mean, if, if we're moved by the, the thought, uh, no one, uh, in those circumstances, no one can know I'm wearing a diamond, it seems like that's the, the same sort of thing that's going on with the the case of the inductivists and the counter-inductivists. 
Um, and I also want to say in, in that particular, in the case of inductivists and counterinductivists, part of my reason for wanting to think that inductivists know that inductivism is a good way to form their beliefs or that the, the propositions they believe on the basis of inductive, uh, their inductivism uh, are true is that there's, there's sort of sophistication and, and depth of understanding to the inductivism. There's, um, there's a richness of, uh, of their epistemic state that I, I don't want to uh, um, preclude from knowledge. But if the, if the inductivism were, were a thin thing, if it were just sort of people, you know, some people's parents say inductivism is good, and they just sort of nod, yeah, inductivism. Other people say, parents say counterinductivism is good, and they just sort of nod and say counterinductivism. They, they never really sort of think things through, and they never really do anything with those. Then I'm, then I'm not uh, disinclined to say that the, the inductivists don't really know that inductivism is the way to go. And as far as the, the sort of ordinary disbelievers, if they're not all that reflective or sophisticated, um, I think their state might be similarly thin, and thus eh, to say that they don't know doesn't trouble me that much. Yeah. So if I may, I'd say two things. Uh, so th on the first point, I don't think it's so straightforward to reject safety on this kind of ground because uh, you can say, well, look, uh, this case is clearly a case of knowledge. It is similar to that case. That case is a false belief, so th the safety condition doesn't apply. But there are obviously many notions of similarity. So you can say, well, clearly this notion, the only thing that follows is that this notion of similarity won't do in an account of safety. So if you want to reject safety, where safety is just formulated like similar in respects relevant for knowledge, the only way to go is you have to say, look, there is no natural enough, you know, non totally ad hoc and arbitrary similarity relation that does the job. That's way less straightforward to, to show. So I think it's, it's not so easy to counter example a, a sort of minimal safety condition like that. Uh, on the second point, I, I, I feel that you are attracted by the best argument view, which I really, uh, <laughs> I, I really don't I have the intuition. Have to, have to a little bit of sophistication <laughs> to count the like, numbers. Yeah. So, but that's why. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just um, I, I would also point out, like, yeah, it's important not to, you know to be open to the possibility that there are just counterexamples for the safety pieces. Another thought is, I mean, um, there's a controversy about how to formulate the thesis. So you've got it as basically safe belief is necessary and sufficient uh, for knowledge. And there's another way to go, which I, I think is the way like Tim originally formulates it, where safe belief is, where safety of course entails truth, is necessary for knowledge but not sufficient. And safety is also cashed out, I believe, in terms of there being no near, so, you know, it's necessary for knowing the P that there be no nearby worlds in which you falsely believe P, right? So there it's, it is restricted to the proposition um, uh, believed, and it's just, just there can't be any nearby worlds where, you, where that kind of belief is false, but you still believe it. Um, I, I feel like, the, you know, then, then I take it, the, the reason you're opening up, up to like, you know, relevantly similar beliefs, relevantly similar ideologies, all that sort of thing is because you want it to be a sufficient condition as well. But you could just say, look, just in, we've just got a necessary condition. It's restricted to the proposition in question. Um, uh, probably going to be kind of tough to find counterexamples of that. Of course, 
you know, it's not going to explain anything about like when you do or don't know uh, necessary truths because they're all safe. Um, but I mean, it's a more modest aim, but I think. Um, yeah. I think the maybe more. But the thing is, for the anti-luminosity argument, you just need a very minimal safety condition. That just say like, look, if I know in this case, then I wouldn't have a false belief in. So, for instance, if I yeah. if I know that there is a bottle here, I wouldn't have a false belief if the bottle was one millimeter away. Right. But clearly, not having false belief if the bottle was one millimeter away is not sufficient for right. knowledge. So it's this only this very tiny necessary conditional knowledge that you need to render anti-luminosity argument that so I think that's one of the reasons why Tim doesn't need to make some stronger claim if we want to make some if we want to use safety for broader purposes like anti-getier or accounting for knowledge and stuff we have to say something more substantial and we need yeah, maybe well, something I mean, of course yeah. if you want to yeah if you want to have a full theory of knowledge you just need necessary and sufficient conditions not For just necessary yeah. ones but I'm so just definitely that, I mean there's at least another line which is just really take on board you know you can't analyze it even you know even just in terms of you know I mean it's mm -hmm. you know, safe belief isn't reductive because right. the closest relation involves knowledge or something mm -hmm. really take on board all we've got is necessary conditions yeah no it uh, no I actually have like a small follow-up, which is like a clarificatory thing of how you specify the necessary insufficient conditions in the paper. So you say like, once believed that P in case alpha is safe, if and only if one avoids false belief in case it's sufficiently similar to alpha. And I'm kind of thinking, I mean, there's something about that that just doesn't seem right because, I mean, I can have false beliefs in the actual I mean, it doesn't say anything. There's no constraint on which belief has to be the false one. I mean, I can have false beliefs in the actual case and still know because it's not the relevant proposition we're talking about. So I was just thinking about. Do you, do you understand what I mean? Or? Ah, right. I'm, uh, I'm, just, I'm just thinking. I mean, it says if and only if right, one right, avoids right. false belief in cases. And I mean, you could have false yeah, beliefs. Yeah, so if you, if you take cases to be centered where this is straightforwardly counterexample, as you say. So. I know that P, uh, I know that it's uh, raining today, but let's say I have a false belief about the date of birth of Napoleon. Yeah. And uh, then there is a case similar to my case, namely right now, where I have a false belief, namely my false belief that. Yeah. Yeah. And so the idea is to, uh, the, the good understanding or like the way to read this condition is to think that cases are, are, are beliefs cases. So. Uh, you consider, so my belief right now that it's not raining outside is one case. My belief right now that, Nap uh, that Napoleon was born in 1700 is, a, is another case. So uh, that's, um, that's how fine you, you have, if you, if you think of cases like that, they are like, you know, localized beliefs, then, uh, then that's fine. Okay, Matt. Yeah, I have a question about it's related to premise one also, but it has to do with just what you mean by good company or having certain beliefs or disbeliefs as companions. Um, it feels like there's some tension between what you say there and the way you start giving us guidelines for similarity. So when you're talking originally about safety, what is for belief to be safe? You talk of having 
know, being sufficiently similar, and you say that those can be beliefs of that very person or another person held at the same rate of times in actuality in some counterfactual situation. So that makes it sound like pe other people who hold beliefs that are sufficiently similar to like my belief can play a role in. But then the first similarity guideline is similar content, and you say that a belief that P is similar in content to a belief that not P. Um, so that makes for sufficient similarity. But now it looks like that's going to just undercut any potentially safe belief. Because for any belief I have, if there's someone else who holds its negation, then that counts as sufficiently similar. So nobody has knowledge. Is that? But so what I uh, so the guidelines here are factors that contribute to the relevant similarity among beliefs. So you sh it's not intended that. If you satisfy one of these conditions, for instance, if the two beliefs are special, temporarily closed, then they are sufficiently similar. It's, it's like Cateris Paribus spatial temporal closeness makes for relevant similarity, but it, it doesn't make every pairs of belief that are held at the same space, same time area uh, are sufficiently similar. So what I mean is like, a belief that the cup is cheap is similar in content to a belief that the cup is not cheap. There are two like beliefs about the cheapness of the cup. Uh, there are Cateris Paribus, the belief that the cup is cheap is cheap is very different from uh, the belief that horses are mammals. So that's just the idea. Sometimes you you would restrict to beliefs that are maybe in the same area, domain of proposition. Or something like that. So, I mean, I'm just wondering under what conditions would you want to invoke similarity of content at the level of P and negation of P as being making for relevant similarity? People are, I mean, many people think that sensitivity conditions are often a bit right, and they seem to uh, rely on, well, my belief that P is safe here because there is close possibility. I mean, no, it's used in an unsafe way. So many people would say that there are cases where I believe that. Oh, sorry, no, it's not the way I want to use it. Well, let's say you have, at least you have uh, somebody who randomly forms belief about whether the the coin is going to fall on heads or, te uh, or not heads. It's just random. Like sometimes say heads, sometimes say not heads. There you want to count the false belief that it's not going to be heads mm -hmm. as similar enough, making for unsafety of the belief that, uh, that the, the coin will find heads, even if it's true. So, but that's just going to be a specific principle on which, by using that method, you could have just as easily formed the negation belief as the yeah. Yeah, so you could have a notion of method that packs all the similarity. You say, well, look, uh, the belief is safe if, on, if beliefs that are similar in method are safe, uh, are true, and uh, similarity in method will take care for similarity of content, if any, uh, similar history, uh, spatial temporal closeness, model closeness. I think this could be all packed in there. So, but you see the word, I mean, we need to spell something spelled out a little more specific about what it is for a belief to have a companion. If you're going to, in this first premise, say religious disbeliefs, many only have other religious disbeliefs as companions where companionship has to do with 
whether it's in good or bad company, and one of the measures by which you can judge whether it's in good or bad company is this similarity thing about similarity of content, where mm -hmm. it can involve negation. Because mm -hmm. then it's just going to, that's just, similarity of content in that sense is far too general, it's going to, it's going to make unsafe pretty much any belief at all. Um, so it needs constraints on when these different so here's similarity a crude version. So here is a crude version of my argument. Uh, first step, is that I say religious disbelief only have beliefs about religious matters as companions. So I say, look, anything that's belief about history or whatever is not a companion because of dissimilarity in content. Mm -hmm. And then second step, I say religi religious disbelief, not only they only have religious belief as companions, but they have only negative ones as companions for reasons of method. So the strategy could go like that. So the content bit screens out anything that's not about religious matter, and then the similar history or etiology bit screens out religious, uh, positive religious belief. That would be a strategy. Um, so you, you might already have addressed this, but I'm just going to say it again. Uh, uh, <coughs> this way of formulating you know, safety as, as necessary and sufficient for knowledge, where, where there's no bad companion and, and similarity of content and, and causal history is, you know, what goes towards making up relevant similarity for the purpose of a knowledge evaluation. Um, I mean, it seems to have pretty straightforwardly skeptical consequences insofar as very few causal histories are 100%, you know, truth-generating, right? There's always going to be beliefs that are generated in the very same way in closed worlds that are false, right? And it's, so it's not at all clear to me. Like, okay, okay. straightforward causal account of knowledge. So, uh, you know, oh, my belief that there is a mic here is caused by the fact that there is a mic. So, is there, like, if you count as similar only those that are caused by mics, yeah. And uh, if all of them are just beliefs that there is Mike or something similar, then seems fine. So, so, okay, so I, I was thinking in more reliableist terms, not a... Yeah, so if you start to say, like, the relevant causal history yeah. is only what happens in your head, then you might get into... <coughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, ...into skeptical trouble. Okay. Hmm. So I think you said something about this <coughs> in the paper, but I can't remember what it was. Um, uh, it seems so. Uh, thinking about uh, bad companions for religious disbeliefs, it, it seems like a, a really common case, um, even for modern ordinary folks, um, is that uh, religious disbeliefs have a lot in common. It look like look like they might be, uh, have as companions uh, uh, false empirical beliefs. And I'm thinking particularly. Of uh, so a lot of times people think somebody's religion is false because they also have racist beliefs um, about uh, the kind of person that they are, um, or or the because was was not the right thing to say there. But for the same, for, it's part of a package. It's for the same kinds of, uh, for the same you know, it's part of the same family of views. Or somebody's belief that the Bible is not inspired by God is closely allied to their belief that people from the Bible Belt are ignorant, or something like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I think, in my view, this is my favorite bad companion. So, uh, so those who uh, disbelieve 
um, uh, this belief that Buddha has lived several lives because they think that all Buddhists are liars that are out to get people's money. Uh, and uh, so this kind of thing where you, you this, your disbelief goes along with, uh, uh, with belief that those who have the positive beliefs are uh, either, you know, various uh, things like they are intent on lying or something like that. So I think, I think this is, I mean, in my view, this is the most plausible bad companion for religious belief. So I'm trying to use, so, so trying to use in, intuitions that are perhaps clearer about other cases. Do you want to say that every time that there is some uh, medical crank that comes uh, to you and say, look, you can uh, uh, avoid cancer by chewing this seed, and you come to disbelief that you can avoid cancer by chewing this seed, and also that the crank is out to get your money, do you fail to get knowledge that the crank doesn't, uh, that the seed doesn't cure cancer if, you ha- if it happens to be false that the person is out to get your money? So, so that, that's a case where, okay, so you get these two beliefs at the same time, like uh, this person is out to get my money and this seed is not a cure for cancer. Do we, and it happens that the first one is false. The person is honestly mistaken about, uh, about the, the seed magical or quasi-magical property. So uh, do we want to call these two beliefs are similar enough so that you don't get to know that the, the seed doesn't cure cancer? Yeah, maybe you won't say no, no, you do you might get to know that. So then why would why wouldn't the same kind of thing hold about the the pair that consists of a religious disbelief and disbelief in the honesty of the religious believer, for instance? So I was thinking plausible thing is that kind of situation is not not one that puts you in the position to know that the seed doesn't cause cancer. On the other hand, yeah. you might have already known it. Um, yeah. Uh, or or it might have been that you know all it took for you to know it was like to consider it. Yeah. Um, yeah, and maybe the same holds for religious disbelief. Well, but I was thinking that it's. I, I was thinking. I was thinking that the cases are not not like this one, um, where. Um, I mean, a lot of, it's a common case, for example, where the the reason people think that some so so you're including among the these religious disbeliefs the religious disbeliefs of religious believers, right? Mm-hmm. And and very often. Uh, you know, they're in a position where if it weren't for the fact that they thought their religion was true, uh, they, they w- wouldn't be nearly so confident that this other religion is false or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so my line on, on just, uh, like my line on the paper is that some of these disbeliefs actually don't come as knowledge. Precisely I was thinking this is a really common case. You think it's very common? Uh, <clears throat> you can't come to know that not P because someone you know to be unreliable is assures you that P um, the best you've been in a position where after this you suspend judgment as to whether P. So I can't know this thing doesn't cure cancer because someone reliable tells me it does. All I can do is suspend belief on that. Well, certainly it seems to me that there are cases where you come to know not P because somebody unreliable tells you P. Maybe. Well, if you know that if you know that they're for sure lying, but if you just know they're untrustworthy, it just means you know <coughs> their, their, their assurance has no evidential value. 
Yeah, so I, when I'm saying like you, you come to know when they tell you, so I should say like you, you come to know not p when they tell you that p, but then how is it that you know p? Uh, I guess it's not just because they say that not p, but the kind of case I have in mind is that you haven't considered whether uh, you haven't considered whether uh, chewing plastic caps cures cancer. But once somebody comes and say like, I chew plastic caps every day because it cures cancer, then I come to consider this proposition and I come to know that chewing plastic caps doesn't cure cancer. But that must be because you've got other backgrounds. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Uh -huh. So maybe it's known on the basis of other background, maybe it's known because it's a bit like innate knowledge, disposition to believe things that happens to be safe. There, there might be various accounts uh, of uh, where it goes. I, I, I don't have a story it about that. True. It could be true that all the people that were trying to you know, peddling religious belief had bad motives, but, but what they say could still be true. Uh, yeah. Uh -huh. I mean, that just seems to be pretty important from that. I wasn't primarily thinking of cases where there's like you, you go through a deduction from some premise about what religious people are like no, to a conclusion said, about. I was just thinking that yeah, you've got this package of beliefs that you, mm -hmm. you and you hold all of them on roughly the same kinds of grounds. Uh -huh. uh, one one part of this package is that uh, those religious claims are false, and another part of this package, formed on the same kind of grounds, is that those are bad people um, or they're dumb or mm -hmm. whatever. Yeah. And I was thinking, it seems plausible in this case that the that um, that the those those would then count as companions. That's yeah, it's. I think it's the best case of bad companions. Um, so again, the strategy would be like to find other packages like that. And do we really want to say that in all such packages there is lack of knowledge of? Uh, I mean, Everything like so. Not, not obviously for all such packages. But I was thinking. So you know, many packages. people, many people believe like that all politicians lie, uh, and uh, and so maybe you know there is a package that is like they announce uh, four percent growth next year, and they are all liars, uh, and and uh, there will not be four percent growth next year. And uh, it might be that somebody comes to know that there is no first person growth next year, uh, because in fact, like these announcements are always overestimates. Uh, but still, it's in the same kind of package you're pointing out. Like, it's in the package like all politicians are liars, and they say that there will be four percent growth, and they won't. So, do we want to say that in all such cases, the man on the street doesn't get to know that the uh, Growth will not be as good as predicted. But to say that someone's lies is crucially different from saying they're untrustworthy. They're untrustworthy means that their assurance has no evidential value. That's true. As a lie means if they say P, you can infer not P. So right. it really matters which of those things it is. Right. I see. So if you if you have the if you have the belief that they lie, disbelief is a reason to think not P. If you have to believe that they are untrustworthy, say this belief is not a reason uh, to say no. Yeah, that's true. We could consider both kind of uh, packages. So the, the, 
the lying package is a more tight package because you can see how your belief that not P is really well connected to your belief that the claim that P is a lie. Uh, yeah. But also because just knowing that someone lies doesn't tell you that much because you say there'll be 4% growth next year and you know they're lying, then you know they're lying within more than 4% or less than 4%. You don't know anything very specific. Could be there'll be 8% growth, could be there'll be minus 2. Yeah, if you think there are any lying more. Yeah. But uh, I guess in, in the cases we are considering, the idea is not that you your beliefs about the testimony are your reasons for your first-order belief. It's just that they are similar enough to each other so that if the, the belief about testimony is, is false, then the first-order belief gets, uh, gets wrong. So this is all the f crucial feature uh, of the proposed case. Just, just a little thing connected. So ep epistemic theses like no one's got good evidence for and then some religious proposition. That's not a religious belief or disbelief in your... Uh, I was just trying to get... The way you did the taxonomy, it's just negations of religious claims, but there are yeah. epistemic theses, like no one's got good evidence uh -huh. for. Yeah, I haven't thought about those. It's just, I think it's good to think about, like, yeah. rather than... Instead of really highly personal racist, your dumb <laughs> things, just, you know... Yeah. epistemic things because they seem like yeah as a, I mean it's not like a believe this from it believe but you know suppose fine-tuning was great evidence for some religious things well yeah. uh -huh. even if the atheist worldview is true uh -huh. uh, yeah there might be oh that would be a be really good, good evidence. and then you might think well that's a pretty plausible companion yeah uh -huh. yeah so I don't know how widespread it is somebody who will have uh, Seems kind of widespread, you know. <laughs> Essentially, like so, thinking Christianity is false and thinking people don't have really good evidence for Christianity. I mean, they seem to be kind of. Well, I mean, I'm just good to run the same. So they, they seem to be part. Of good I'm not saying people do, but I'm just saying there's the 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 well, good evidence as a use where no misleading evidence is good evidence. So you could say, well, they don't have good evidence because you think they have evidence, but it's misleading because there is no God. So you'd say, well, of course, there's no good evidence. And, uh, but that would be a true claim if the atheist worldview is true, because all the evidence is misleading. And then there is the other thing, good evidence, like evidence that makes it reasonable. And, uh, and, and indeed, it would be false that there is no evidence that makes it reasonable for some people to believe. But I'm not sure that it's widespread claim that like, people both believe that there is no life after death and nobody reasonably believes that there is life after death. I mean, I, I'm not sure about that. Anyway, uh, yeah. it's just a, a category yeah. bad um, companion we're thinking about. Anyway. Mm. Just behind John. Do you have a question? Yes. Um, well, it connects to various things that have been said. So you, you can see, of course, that it's possible to have even if the atheist worldview is true, it's possible to have a disbelief that it's not knowledge when uh, this disbelief is based in, you know, in, a, in a very irrational way, I would say, you know, vague as that is. So if I flip a coin and you know, decide whether to be religious or not, and you know, whether it comes head or tails, I don't come to know whatever that. So in that, 
and and, and the same for like if I if I just uh, dogmatically accept something that I read in some uh, some book um, not particularly trustworthy. Uh, so in that case, at least, the bad companion would be, uh, so for the religious disbelief, would be the, the religious belief. Um, but so the more general point was, I'm not, so the empirical assumption you're making actually has to have a sort of normative component. You, you, you're assuming that most often uh, religious disbelief is not irrational. It's not based on one of these. Now that this, you know, that, that some specific cases that you've been discussing might be sort of borderline cases of you know, rational, irrational ways of forming uh, the, the disbelief. But you know, your general thesis depends on the assumption that it's not generally an irrational way that uh, people use. Would you well, let's say I'm not officially committed to that, right? So yeah. I'm just saying, like, safety is necessary, sufficient for knowledge. If irrational belief prevents knowledge, that means that irrational beliefs makes beliefs unsafe. Uh, and so irrationality just enters in as an unsafety maker. Uh, also, I could think, like, well, you know, there are some irrational beliefs that concede knowledge. I mean, Maria Lazon and defends that. So it's sort of... I mean, it's sort of open. So the only thing I'm committed to is that religious debilief is never irrational in a way that makes it unsafe. Never. I mean, the, the good ones. Like, yeah, of course. <laughs> well, they're, they're, I'm saying like often, which doesn't mean that most disbelief is knowledge, but uh, there are a good amount of disbelief by ordinary people that are not irrational in a way that makes them unsafe. So, uh, and I wouldn't want to build in the knowledge, in requirement for knowledge, some constraints of being rational that would come close to the best argument view and the need for a lot of reflection that you have likes. So I wouldn't call BDC rational just because people haven't thought much about them or things like that. Mm -hmm. So did you have a follow-up? Uh, it's, it's a hand on finger. Yeah, so I'm worried a bit about the power of your strategy in Pathman and your strategy in Path 2 when they're combined. Um, so it seems like if you have this sort of negative negative way of coming down to what relevant similarity is um, by saying that, you know, whenever uh, you exhibit a, a belief that has a bad companion, uh, you're going to say that it's not really a companion because you can find another pair. But then if you start worrying that that's going to make the constraints and similarity too strong, then you're going to deny the similarity claim. It starts looking a little like it's going to be really hard to counterexample the view without some positive um, claim on what like minimal constraints on what kinds of similar are. Uh -huh. So I was wondering, do you have any well, what would be the rules of the game when, when uh, it's no longer acceptable to uh, deny the relative similarity claim? Yeah, so to establish minimal similarity claim is the path two, and this is, uh, so this is a bit more difficult. You have to say, like, you take two, two beliefs, mm -hmm. and you say, and, and this one is clearly not a case of knowledge, 
and the other one is a false belief, and you say, well, look, we really have to count this one, the, the false one, as companion, because otherwise we can't explain why the first one is not knowledge. And, and so that's very difficult to establish indeed, because you could always try to find another bad companion to explain the, the non-knowledge. So it's true that it's difficult to establish minimal. The only good case of minimal constraint, you know, things about which we can be fairly certain is, is uh, like the ones Tim uses for anti-luminosity. So if I know by sight that the bottle is here, then if there is like just a hair uh, on the right or a hair on the left, we really have to count this one as similar. Yeah, I mean, the reason why I was worried is that your sort of strategy in path two is disjunctive, right? So either you're going to try to find a, a relevant case, right, that's going to say, well, look, there's this even more similar thing that yeah. uh, um, clearly is not a relevant kind of case. So, uh, uh, and that, that path seems all right. But then if you have this other option or deny the similarity claim, then I start to worry because it seems like... For path two, you mean? Yeah. So you say, am I going to find a bad companion E prime for NK that is more similar to NK uh, than the ECD, or I'm going to try to deny the comparative similarity claim? And then I started to worry, well, uh, what are the conditions of denying the relevant similarity yeah, well, claim? Right? Because it seems if you always have that option as well, uh, the rules of the game might be uh, a little evasive. I don't know if they are evasive. I mean, we can. But it's. So here, yeah, so to, to when, clarify, when, when, when it will be like, okay, game up, you, you win or yeah. I win or. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, so the idea here is like you. So you start to say, well, look, this one is clearly not a case of knowledge. This one is a false belief that we have to count similar. Mm -hmm. And then the second step is to say, and if you count these two as similar, uh, enough, you will count the religious disbelief as similar to the relevant error. Uh, now, yeah, I don't think it's going to be always trivial to deny the comparative. So especially that maybe the error case, maybe you have a clear non-knowledge case and the error case. And it's very natural to put the religious disbelief between the two. Then you would have a straightforward by companion. You say, well, look, if this one is similar to this one, then this one in the middle has to be even more similar to the error case, so it's not knowledge. And if, if it's fairly natural to order them like that, then... Right, so I'm, I'm okay as long as you can keep finding the examples of, of that kind, but I'm mm -hmm. starting to worry at that point when you're gonna start using the second disjunct of your strategy, right? When you're gonna start denying that there is a similarity in place. Then I'm not well, no longer sure how to win. It looks like at that point I can't counter example if I'm just going to. No, no, it's, it's not that. So the, I'm sorry, maybe it's not clear. It's like, and so the idea here is like there is a clear non-knowledge, there is an error, and you say, look, this error has to count as similar to this non-knowledge, otherwise we can't explain why it's non-knowledge. Now, second step, we say, and if you count these two as similar, you have to also count the religious disbelief as similar to that bad companion. And, and here, if you present this kind of structure, the, the burden of me mm -hmm. uh, is, is to say either that we don't need the companion or to say that it's not the case that right. the, bad, the bad companion for disbelief is as similar to the disbelief right. that the, the, the other one and one that. What I'm not sure how so I'm not denying that. Right. But, so what's the problem with this? I mean, 
maybe it's so hard to adjudicate claim, but it's not that I'm giving right. up similarity I'm notion. How would, I, how would I tell whether, it, whether you have shown that it's not relevant to similar or not, if I don't have a grip on what, what constraints on similarity are? That, that's, that's, it's, it's really a simple Yeah, point. it's just like you know, the, the situation is not pretty because we have to judge to use like intuitions on similarity to come up with principles of similarity we just don't have like a nice list of criteria, but there are many cases we could try to use. Maybe we can find some clear ones. That's the hope. Do you have a question? Uh, Clayton. So this is um, a question someone was asking about last night. I'm just trying to get clear on the sort of the dialectic about the taking the, the sort of the, sort of the atheist beliefs of constant knowledge not having companions on sort of the other side, because that seemed crucial to earlier. But So I might be worried that nobody knows whether or not uh, God exists. So I get just two of my better students who I know read things very carefully, and I sort of hand them one sort of the case for God's existence, sort of a really big book. And I hand the other one the case for God's non-existence, a very big book, carefully researched and argued, and just send them off. And I know, right, that they're both going to read them very carefully, and they're going to both be persuaded. And then I think in a week's time, well, now someone knows whether. Uh, and I think there's something really odd about that exercise of, of producing knowledge in this way, of taking books that I read for P or not P, and just sending them to two people who believe them. Um, and I think you said last night that this isn't a way of generating knowledge. You couldn't move from a state in which people don't know that God exists to a state in which people do know that God exists just through this exercise. Did yeah. I say that? Yeah. <laughs> it was not a context where we can. Uh, like, so well, then, I, think I, don't, was, I, I don't think I should say that. Yeah. Oh, you don't want to say that? No, you don't want to say that. No, I mean, you don't want to say that in general, if I have two well argued books, one for P, one for not P, I give each to a student, then none of the student comes to know either P or not P. That seems. Because I thought, that so, seems, yeah, the word well, some, somehow depends on the, so, you know, somehow the value of the arguments themselves. So some arguments might be based on actual data, some, the other book might use fake data, that may make a relevant difference. So the mere fact that I've picked up the two books and randomly assigned them to the students doesn't make the students believe similar to each other. Even if it's true that if you had switch them, they both would Yeah, it's like, it's a bit like a coin flip to whether you go to fake bond country or not. Yeah. That's the idea. Does it mean that the, per, the person who goes in good uh, real bond country doesn't get to know because they could easily have been sent to the other area. So I think it's it's too strong constraint. If you say like conflict or the, whether you get actual evidence or misleading evidence is enough to prevent knowledge even on the basis of good evidence. That's, that seems too strong. Supposing um, an example was like one reading book, uh, arguing that you know, the global warming has nothing to do with human activity, and one reading and all the arguments with it does. I mean, then it's more clearly made symmetry, as it were. Well, yeah. I think one of the books obviously going to have bad arguments, <laughs> or misleading arguments. <laughs> Listen, do you have a question as well? Or? No, no, oh. sorry, just uh, just no, I'm yeah. um, I was wondering, so your thesis is kind of at least superficially similar to a Plantingan thesis, um, where he argues that if Christianity is true and Christianity is rational, um, 
And so, I mean, obviously, you're talking about atheism rather than uh, Christianity, and you talked about knowledge rather than rationality. Um, but one sort of critique that's sometimes leveled against Pianka um, is that this runs into problems because there seem to be sort of arguments that can be defeaters for Christian belief. So, um, like, the kind of the argument goes, no Christian can be rational without kind of having a rational defeater for the defeater of, um, like, a or something. Um, so I'm thinking there's maybe similar sorts of lines of objections um, about fears for atheism. Um, so I mean, what do you think the plausibility of, are there like the potential to fear of like the cosmological argument or something? It seems like these are the sorts of things that are well enough known, uh, at least that they exist, um, kind of in a similar way that the problem for people is. Uh, how do you think those fears affect uh, kind of your thesis or plan? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so uh, indeed the thesis is sort of, similar to the conditional claim uh, that Plantinga makes. The big difference is that I'm not, I'm not making any claim that the disbeliefs I'm interested in are basic in any way. So he has this stuff about properly basic. There's the, I have no claim of properly basic. What I'm saying is that they are safe, and they might be safe because they are based on subtle background assumption or something like that. And I'm not making any claim of them being basic. Um, and uh, uh, so indeed it's similar and then um, uh, in fact I'd, in fact I put out in the footnote it's some version of the conditional claim for artists will be almost trivially true like so if if there is a God who wants us to know that the Christian God is the only true one then we do know that you know that like some of the claims like that we will be trivially true uh, but anyway, so the, the objections to Plantinga that you're mentioning could indeed be uh, leveled against my kind of view, but I think they run on the best argument assumption, which is mistaken. So this idea that you cannot know something if you don't master the best argument on the matter. And I think this is clearly false for the kind of climate warming, I mean, global warming case. It, I, I mean, I think it's totally possible that I know that there is some human cause global warming occurring, even though there is some person which is much more informed on the subject that I am, who sincerely believes the opposite, and who has arguments about it that I wouldn't be able to refute. So there is, in antiquity, there was really this thing that the real knowledge is knowledge that survives dialectical examination. So there was a view that you find in Plato and in the Stoics, and they say like knowledge is, has to withstand dialectical uh, scrutiny and uh, I think this view is just wrong uh, and and so but it still has a power on us and so there is this temptation to think like well look if there's somebody who has a good argument against you then you don't know but I think it's just false hmm. another, I just want to suggest another strategy for trying to come up with um, uh, companions for religious disbeliefs that aren't themselves religious disbeliefs uh, one way of doing it would be looking for like generalizations that the religious beliefs are instances mm. of. Um, you know, so my belief that God doesn't answer prayers might be relevantly similar to my belief that nobody answers prayers, um, which is not itself a religious disbelief. Um, uh, or we can make clearer cases of that if you're kind of thinking that answering prayers is already building in some religious stuff. But you know, there's uh, nobody rewards the just, uh, or my um, or you know that 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 there's no 
uh, resurrection and the last days might be relevantly similar to my belief that I won't be alive any later than a century from now. Mm -hmm. um, I, I don't have particularly, I don't have, I don't have an argument here, but it's just, it's the sort of thing that's worth thinking about. Yeah. Good. That's interesting. I, I sort of, so at the beginning of the paper, I bracket out beliefs in the negation of religious claims that nobody makes. So, you know, if there is, like, consider the proposition that there are exactly six gods, the first god is the protector of male ants, the second god is interested in clouds, and the third god, I mean, you know, some crazy set of religious-like beliefs. And, uh, and presumably, I believe, or if I were to consider it, I would believe that this claim is false. Uh, but I, I think this, this, yeah, this kind of claim raises tricky issues, like belief in negation of crazy options that we haven't even considered. Uh, may, I have a feeling that it's different from disbelieving a claim that somebody makes around in the community. And uh, some of your cases will fall in this category about which I don't know what to think exactly. Uh, but others not, and I really have to think about what, I mean, maybe they raise trouble. So I have a, a small follow-up on the defeater question. It's just more like a clarificatory thing. So are you thinking that the people who know, even though they don't you know, have the best argument thing, they can only know insofar as they've not been confronted with the argument, so they can know even after? I mean, so it's just like a difference of whether there's like a defeater somewhere out there, whether you're actually sort of mm -hmm. given the... Receiving evidence. Yeah, I don't know. I don't have a view about that. I think it's tricky. Mm -hmm. uh, no. Yeah. Because I mean, you could have like a view of knowledge where you think you don't need to have the best argument as long as you're sort of Not protected the from the misleading argument. evidence or something like that. But yeah. as soon as you're confronted with it, you sort of need maybe that like destroy. I mean. It's not even maybe it's not even like a best argument thing. It's just mm -hmm. like a thing where the defeater when the defeater comes, you sort of change. You're not safe anymore, or something like that. Yeah. So there there are two ways to go. I mean, one one is to say that. I mean, there there are three ways to go. So one is to say that you retain knowledge, and it's still perfectly reasonable to assume that the best argument is wrong. Uh, I guess sometimes this seems exactly the right thing. So. Uh, you know, suppose you, you meet Zeno, and Zeno gives you a perfect proof that there is no movement. And you're like, you know, you just don't know what to answer. There's a perfect argument that there cannot be any movement because otherwise contradiction follow. So are you supposed to suspend? I mean, is it, in this situation, it, does it become unreasonable for you? Do you lose knowledge that there is movement? And, uh, and is it now unreasonable for you to believe that there is movement. It's not clear. So maybe you could go, well, at least in some case, it, it will be still perfectly, f first you will keep knowledge and reasonable belief, even in the face of an argument you can't answer. So I think this will happen in some cases. Uh, another view is to say that, well, in this kind of situation, maybe you retain knowledge, but you lose reasonable belief. So that's the view Maria Lazanen argues, at least for some cases. And then you could say, like, every time this happens, you lose knowledge. But it's not crazy to say that, at least in some case, you retain knowledge and reasonable belief. So I'm just going to say that's, that's pretty much 
the universal situation because there's Curry's paradox, which will give you an argument um, for any conclusion whatsoever. Um, and it's a bit, just a variant on the liar paradox. So no, nobody really properly understands what's going, going wrong. And so for any, anything, whenever anybody knows P, somebody could give them a Curry argument uh, for, for not P. Um, and, and nobody really knows how to diagnose the Curry argument. So, okay. so that, I mean, it's, that, that's the general case, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a question about how you deal with religiously motivated religious disbelief. Um, so you say that you want to draw a distinction between cases in which like, a religious believer has a religious disbelief which is not motivated by their religious beliefs and mm. cases in which their religious disbeliefs are motivated by their religious beliefs. And you want to say that in the latter case only, this counts as the religious disbelief having unsafe companions because of this motivation relation that obtains. But then later in the paper when you're talking about um, whether relig- religious disbeliefs which are based on false sociological or psychological beliefs, you say, mm, like, there are certain reasons to doubt that this is a case of bad companions because it's disputable whether a belief based on an unsafe belief is itself unsafe. So it seems like there's a slight tension there unless there's some like neat distinction between the motivated by relation and the based on relation. Um, yeah. Is that? No, no, there, uh, there is no... I haven't sorted out and did it with some subtle distinction. So. It seems that there are. It seems too strong to say that whenever uh, belief is belief that P is somehow substantially based on the belief that Q and the belief that Q is false, then the belief that P is not knowledge. So that seems too strong. And uh, and indeed, still, it's something that uh, like that that I'm using to say that religiously motivated religious disbelief is unsafe. And so here there is room for. Denying that, um, I have a, I have a feeling that if if you if you believe that you know Hindus won't be reincarnated because they are all going to be sent to hell, then somehow your belief that Hindus will, won't be reincarnated is similar enough to your belief that uh, there is a hell. But uh, it's just a hunch. It's not. It's not a general, it just doesn't follow from a general claim that whenever you believe P because you believe Q and believe Q is false, then believe P is unsafe. Yeah, I, yeah, that's just a state. So, so, so you're talking about based on the particular now? Can you say a bit more about that? Because the people that you're working in the safety framework rather than a sort of you know, internal sort of justifying grounds, but you said you don't think you think like your rationality and safety are going to fit together because you think but I'm just, I mean, if, if my belief that P is based on my belief that Q, and that's the only thing it's based on, and, and Q is false, isn't it going to be unsafe? Unsafe. Yeah. Only if you count the belief that Q is companion for your belief that P, which is none of this. Okay, but it's certainly going to be the case that, that 
that safety isn't going to track your rationality then. Because if my, again, I guess I could, we'd have to have the false belief also be irrational or ungrounded. So if my only, my only like, rational basis for holding a belief is some other false belief that I rationally yeah. Well, it, you say that the, the target belief can still be safe. It's definitely the case that safety safety is coming apart from irrationality. Uh, so, if if there is a general principle uh, that when when you believe that Q solely on the basis that belief that P and the belief that P is irrational, then the belief that Q is irrational. So maybe we can accept that. And then, if it is true that irrationality makes for unsafety, then in that case, uh, as well, the, we will have unsafety. The fact that your belief that Q is uh, is based on an irrational belief that P will somehow make it unsafe. I don't see some... So, to be clear, I don't see some general... Uh, I don't see why it couldn't be that irrationality makes for unsafe belief. I, I don't see why the safety account would have to uh, classify some irrational belief as safe. Uh, perhaps because it's not obvious what the safety account say, because there are all these tricks about similarity that we get into. Um, so I don't see that the account is committed to that, and I don't. But I don't think that I have a sort of general rule that will give you the result that whenever there is an irrational belief, then it's unsafe. So is that clear? I, I don't think I can prove okay, in any I'm way that I'm that. Uh, based on. So, um, was the example that someone believes that all yeah, so they have a true religious disbelief that Hindu won't be reincarnated, but they believe that only because they have this false religious belief that Hindu will be sent to hell. Okay. So that's the case. I was just wondering whether when you talk based on whether some of the back of their mind is so that they've got this bad reason, maybe there's other better reasons for them available that they could have, so it's not really solely based on this bad reason. I'm just wondering whether some thought of that comes in the background and we think, well, but the safety person isn't going to think in general beliefs have to be based on good reasons. That's, know, well, that's not, why I was worried yeah, how, so. how it connects up with this. So, I, mean, I just think that maybe safety and irrationality are going to come apart. Well, they might not. I mean, you might think if you know pay, you've got the most awesome evidence possible. Okay. Okay, right, so it's, I mean, it's not, it's not clear, you'd have to, okay. so, but it, it wouldn't be generated by good reasons, but, you know, it's, it's not so clear. That. That's why it's just a bit, it's all suddenly talking about one thing being based on another is just a bit odd within the safety framework, that's all, I mean, you sort of say exactly what it means, it's not meaning what the sort of... Yeah, so let's say here... So here, when I'm talking of, oh, imagine this person was disbelieved based on that and all that. Let's say this is ordinary ways of talking that I'm trying to use to pick up cases. Yeah, I'm trying to describe concrete situation and say, like, what about this belief in this situation? Is it similar to that one? And here I'm using basing talk. But, uh, but the basing talk is not supposed to be part of a theory, so I'm not assuming that there is a well-behaved notion of basing that we could apply to belief in general and all that. It's rather like an intuitive way of talking to try to describe some cases. Uh, that's, at least that's what I would want to do. I wouldn't want to commit to the notion of basing much more than that.
Mm. I think on that note, we should thank our speaker and your. Thank you very much.